for the week of May 17th, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are going to discuss the exciting recent reports about The Mandalorian Season 2 casting, as well as take a look back at Season 7 of The Clone Wars as a whole. But before we do that, John, who do we have joining us for our Clone Wars series finale extravaganza episode? (laughs) Yes, it's a big episode. We need a big guest. So tonight... Our illustrious guest is none other than fellow Canuck and host of the Tumbling Saber podcast, Kyle Roussel. So welcome, Kyle. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, uh, you were on our short list of people to reach out to because um, I'll just I'll say it. Uh, I've listened to every Star Wars podcast out there uh, when we were developing our show. I wanted to, um, you know, get a sense of the landscape and see what people were doing so we could kind of find our niche. And uh, yours was one of the few that I still keep in my rotation because oh, I'm on it. Thank you. It's it's not terrible, and and <laughs> I like it. And honestly, there's there's um, quite a few that are. You know, you guys. Um, you don't do the the hate watch fandom menace kind of approach to things so that puts you you know in my good books and um just generally speaking you guys have a a good sense of what makes star wars fun and you all kind of play off each other well and it's uh it's actually fun to listen to and i can wholeheartedly recommend it so i just wanted to say that right off the bat that tumbling saber podcast worth checking out and uh we're happy to be able to bring you in tonight and get your perspective on all the latest star wars happenings thank you guys i'm i'm that that's so kind of you to say i mean and, and right back at you guys it's it's you know it, I, I don't know how many people listening are running their own podcast or just listen but it, it's there's no magic to doing a podcast, but you got to love doing it. Sure. And I, that's what I try to do. And you guys have done that exceptionally well as well. Awesome. Well, hopefully we'll get on like gangbusters and we'll be able to break down a little bit of Star Wars tonight. Um, with that, I'm going to throw back to Zach. What are we talking about tonight? So the first four months of 2020 have been quite eventful for the world as a whole, but especially Star Wars. Now, of course, with this pandemic going on, we have what John likes to call these strategic leaks. And so we're going to yes. get into some of these news items. Now, before I do that, this is still speculation. Lucasfilm has not come out and said, yes, this is happening. Now, we have our own theories about this. But, John, we have Boba Fett and Bo-Katan and potentially Rex and Sabine joining the Mandalorian season two. Mm-hmm. What do you take from this? Well, like you were very cautious to state right up front. Uh, I can't take too much. I can be intrigued and excited, but like we said, this is pure speculation at this point. There are some reputable news outlets that uh, are talking about the Boba Fett casting because much like the Ahsoka casting, there's enough to work with that we don't need to wait for confirmation on that front. And we even got an Easter egg in season one of the Mandalorian that very strongly hints that they wanted to bring him in at some point. So um, Boba Fett, I think, is probably going to happen. If you know, if I was a betting man, I'd probably put some money on that. Uh, Bo-Katan, the, the scuttlebutt is that maybe Katie Sackhoff of, um, well, voice acting in Star Wars, but also uh, Battlestar Galactica fame. Uh, would be taking the mantle for that character, which would be very fitting casting. So those two items seem to have the ring of truth to them. I I could get on board with that. Um, What we get as far as Rex and Sabine, this is where maybe people are 
uh, just adding to their, their fantasy wish list of everything they want to see. And maybe, you know, people are, are getting a little ahead of themselves. We, we really don't know. That's all we can say as far as the actual information that's out there. But I, I will say I'm, I'm excited. I think this is good news and could take the show in a good direction. And I think realistically, these aren't going to be regular characters. I think what they're doing is they're, uh, reacquainting the audience with these characters so they can spin them off into their own future vehicle. So I think that's what's going on. I think that's why we're going to see Ahsoka. I think, uh, Boba Fett may be a mainstay in the series, but I think everyone else like Bo-Katan and Rex and Sabine, they probably have other adventures and other stories to tell in other shows. And I think they just might want to whet our appetite. So that's, uh, the long and short, as far as I can tell, uh, <laughs> what do you think, Kyle? <laughs> Usually, you know, when it comes to rumors, I've always been one to like, okay, who is it coming from? Is it coming from like the people mm-hmm. with a track record? Is it coming from an industry right. trade that you can put some stock in? Or is it just coming from the internet sort of gutter? The dark web. Yeah. Like, where <laughs> is this thing coming from? Uh, so I always try to be very uh, cautious with mm-hmm. rumors, but it seems like, doesn't it feel like all of these names that have been bandied about and air quotes confirmed in the last little while don't they feel like they're all names that we were talking about last fall anyway? Yeah. So it just feels like that they're just, there's nothing to take away from these reports. It's just, you know, the, the early reports for a lot of these characters happened earlier this year or even going into last year. And now it just feels like the reports are just getting weightier and weightier with legit confirmations aside yeah. from, of course, the mothership. Yeah. And for me, I mean, I was looking at from season one, we were thinking, okay, who is the Mandalorian going to pass off the child to who, where is little Yodel going to end up by the end of this? And I figured, well, the most fitting would be if Ahsoka comes tagging along and he, Mm -hmm. you know, figures out some more about these force sensitive wielders uh, from her. So if that is true and that is also yet to be confirmed, I think, right? Like that's still speculation, but it's, it holds a little more weight to it, right? Well, she's, she, uh, Rosario Dawson has all but confirmed it kind of cheekily in some of her statements. And the way I understand it, she's already wrapped on, on Mm -hmm. season two and, it's a one episode engagement, but she's contracted for longer. Like there's so much stuff that's come out in reputable trades that I don't think we have to consider that speculation at this point. It's everything else. That's just like come out in the last week or so that uh, more details will continue to emerge. I'm sure over the next few weeks. Now that plays off into my next point where if we have a Soka, it makes sense to have Rex involved. And then of course, if you have Boba Fett and, I don't know if you know this, but they come from the same, uh, you know, clone dad. genetic template. Yes. So I if one is true, I'm going to go ahead and say that the other is definitely going to happen at some point. Uh, now, this is once again, all speculation. So, Kyle, what do you think is going to happen in season two if all this is true? The more <laughs> there's a loaded question. No, the mo- it, it's funny because you think the more that they give us, the more you have to go on. But for me, it's almost the opposite now where. I think when nothing was on the table, I could say, oh, well, season two is now an, an active search with, for the Mando to find Baby Yoda's home. And that conflict to, and, and that separation that eventually must happen, he must turn that baby over to its people at some point. That would be gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. But now the more that they add Ahsoka, Sabine, Rex, Boba Fett, on and on, the more names they add, the less I, ha- I go, well, sure, that stuff will still happen, but... I don't know anymore. Like, it seems like there's like season two is just going to be this huge party. And (laughs) I'm sure most of these will be glorified cameos anyway. So I I don't think all these 
known quantities in Star Wars will show up and steal the show in the way that Baby Yoda did or <laughs> or whatnot. But it seems like it's becoming this big jamboree, which I'm I think I'm okay with it. The way that they kind of wink at us uh, from the production side of saying, "Yeah, we know what this is. This is sort of a, we're having fun with Star Wars. We're playing with the different genres. We're playing with all these uh, old favorite actors of yours, and it's all a big wink." Mm. but yet it's still its own thing uh, we, and now we consider michael bean is in as well maybe jamie lee curtis is in <laughs> they keep pulling in all these people from our youth and just throwing them at the at us and it's like i don't know what you're doing to me i like it i'm just gonna let it wash over me at this point yeah the the more names we hear the more options are on the table so how could you ever peg what direction they're gonna go they could literally go any direction so i think that's the fun of being able to go in cold we we get these rumors but that doesn't mean we know anything about what we're in for if if nobody was calling baby yoda before he showed up on screen we just have to accept that there's going to be some surprises and that's kind of how i want it yeah isn't this like a paralysis by analysis thing yes you know like there's just too many choices on the table and you just lock up yeah, well, I mean, two years ago, John and I, we were discussing what's going to happen in The Mandalorian. They were revisiting all these old sets. Are they going to do this or what are mm-hmm. they going to do here? Neither one of us came up with, uh, let's uh, foster a baby yodeling. <laughs> that, and that, that was not was on the our entire season. It was <laughs> yeah. just like, so we were, you know, we didn't even see that coming. So mm-hmm. if these things are true, I think it's going to be kind of a wink and a nod. The Boba Fett stuff makes a whole lot of sense. And that was rumored back with Solo because they were saying, you know, he's going to show up in Solo. And all this stuff. And then the people that had a lot of experience in reporting that kind of stuff said, well, yeah, if he does, he's just kind of be in the background. Like you're going to see him at a party kind of standing in the corner. So, I mean, I don't know what the involvement's going to be. And I'm not going to dive too much into speculation there because I have been wrong a lot. So I'm just going <laughs> to say it's That's going fun to be fun no matter what. Yeah, pleasantly wrong because what they come up with is usually better than what we would have pegged anyway. So it's nice to be surprised. And the playing field's wide open as far as I'm concerned. I'm I'm not going to go into any episode feeling like I've got a good beat on it. And that that makes me happy. Please keep me keep me guessing, Star Wars. Do you feel like a little bit, guys, like these reveals, all this dirt that's being dug up on Mando season two, this is stuff that they, I think they probably wanted to save for celebration or perhaps even save for the show itself in the same kind of way that nobody knew about baby Yoda. And we were Mm -hmm. all just blown away. It seems like any reveals, I, you know, and I don't know if Lucasfilm is like doling this stuff out because they know celebration is not happening. So let's get some of this news out now. I think the Ahsoka stuff was, I think it was a, fortuitous timing with clone wars coming to an end like there was a good reason to create some buzz around that and i think they knew they weren't going to be able to keep it under wraps because it was already starting to leak there was already a lot of unconfirmed stuff about rosario dawson so i think they just decided let's let's put it out while we can capitalize on it around the the fervor for clone wars this other stuff i don't know if it's strategic if it's uh just a a desperate move because they don't have a a great event to be able to really sell this at um it could just be that they're deep enough into post-production now with Mandalorian season two that, well, people are seeing the footage. People are working on the footage. Special effects are getting laid in. You know, people are seeing what's going on and people talk. So it could just be that too. Right. Yeah. Could it be like, you know, if this is all somewhat intentional on their part, it makes me wonder if this is all like a smoke screen, let's give the <laughs> fandom this, <laughs> sure. take yeah. this, everybody chew on this for the next five months. And then they'll hit us with an actual shock in the show that, we didn't talk about. I hope so. 
don't get your expectations up because they're not going to top baby Yoda. Like yeah. there, there's only one Luke. I am your father moment, you know, in star Wars, there's only kind of like one baby Yoda where they actually make it to, to screen without anyone knowing it. If we start thinking that every season's going to drop another baby Yoda level surprise on us, then if it's more, you know, standard fare, uh, then it might be a little deflating. So I just don't want to know. I don't want to think, yeah. I don't want to, isn't that like star Wars is cursed <laughs> though, right? Like star Wars kind of is a victim of its own success in that way. Be- yeah. Going back to 1980 with, I am your father. It's always been chasing its own tail in terms of, we got to one up that or we, we have to give them some sort of reveal, whether it's even like a, a weak reveal in attack of the clones where Dooku claims that, Oh, Qui-Gon was once my apprentice. Right. right. Was that supposed to shock us? Yeah, <laughs> and then Yoda turns on, turns around and says, "Oh, my old Padawan, Dooku, you." And was that supposed to be a shock as well? It, it, we've been in this long line of like reveals that we're like, "Is that all you got?" Yeah, and that's that's why you don't want to hold them to that standard of sure. There's going to be these tentpole moments throughout any franchise, but you can't go into it saying, "I'm not going to be happy with this unless I get another one of those moments," or else you're going to get to something like an episode nine where. What are we going to do that's bigger than, you know, Luke, I am your father. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, maybe they fly too close to the sun. Um, but obviously we'll, we'll, we'll reserve that conversation for later in the cast. What was that? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and this kind of leads us into the, the featured films discussion. So we have, of course, Taika Waititi coming out saying that, yep, that this is happening. And this is confirmed from Star Wars that he's doing this, right. doing a film. And so with this, I'm kind of thinking about, okay, where does Ryan Johnson fit into this? And I'm a part of the theory. And this is, you know, a hot take. And I'm not saying this because I want it to happen. I would actually love to see Ryan Johnson control a full trilogy i think that that would be the best for him and really great for star wars but i honestly am thinking with all of this stuff coming out and with you know the announcement that feige is gonna be a part of a lot of this stuff i'm wondering if ryan johnson is even a part of the future of star wars here so kyle what do you think of that i don't really know your view of what happened how much time do we have (laughs) (laughs) give give us the cliff notes well no um i'm i'm a huge ryan johnson fan Uh, just alone on with with the last jedi i think he made the most artful soulful thoughtful star wars movie in in a long long time so i am definitely on team ryan i hope he's back that said they announced him what november of 2017 before last jedi came out and they've not given us anything since other than to say other other than ryan just saying i'm still working on it oh we're still in touch yeah and he was at the set on the set of the mando so there is some contact still there so until they tell us otherwise, he is still a part of the family, but I feel like they're allowing enough time to pass and Ryan is building up his Knives Out universe. Uh, Lucasfilm is filling up their slate with other projects, more Disney Plus stuff and, and who knows what comes from High Republic and what, what Taika Waititi is doing, what Kevin Feige is doing. They're allowing enough of a portfolio and time to build up that they can say at some point it's a mutual parting of ways and Ryan goes, yeah. We, you know, we just couldn't make it work. Our schedules can't align. Uh, I wish everybody the best. I love making The Last Jedi. Great experience. And they say, yeah, he was a tremendous filmmaker. We're lucky to have had him. Uh, and, you know, we'll keep the door open for the future. And, you know, that may or may not ever happen. That's that's where my head's at. I don't, with every day that passes that we don't hear anything. And certainly if we get to celebration this year and we don't get any further information, I'll say this is not happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Kyle, you, we have been planning this episode 
since February, and a lot has happened <laughs> this since is true. February. But you said that you had a question regarding the future of films. Now, I don't know if that's been answered since February, since all this stuff going down, or... No, I tend to throw this question at anybody I speak to about Star Wars. Um, when I started throwing it around, even like a year ago, 18 months ago, it's kind of like, ah, not thinking about that yet, but we're getting there. And, you know, we head to 2022, uh, whenever that next saga, the next big thing in Star Wars is. So you're sitting in the theater, and I don't know if they'll address this beforehand. I imagine they will in a similar fashion to the way they address the Carrie Fisher situation in Rise of Skywalker. But here's what we're doing. We're just going to be up front with you. Will they do the same thing with, with this? So with the music, the mm-hmm. start of the movie, you stand in your chair, you expect a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and you expect that big Star Wars bang and the theme music open and crawl. We all know that music. Is it so entrenched? Is it so part of the Star Wars saga experience? I'll leave standalones out. If it's a standalone, forget it. But if this is part one of a saga, do you want that standard Star Wars music with the opening crawl? Or do you want them to come up with a new Star Wars theme? Even <laughs> And go as far as to say even like a new Star Wars logo. Or do you need that anchor? Those The music, the logo, is that the anchor that keeps you in that universe? You're getting real close to getting stabbed here. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say, ah, that's so, so hard. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a purist, so I want the exact same thing. Now, the Lucasfilm change, the logo, I'm, I'm a little bit younger. So that's kind of all that I've ever known in the cinema was that Lucasfilm logo. But I knew some people had some issues with that. But if you start changing the logo and the bang of that introductory music where it just hits you i mean that gets me in the mood like whenever you're sitting there you 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 see that blue in a galaxy far far away like yeah no i i'm gonna i think i'm gonna need the old here (laughs) okay so i'm gonna chime in here pulling back and trying to think if i'm putting on my my kathleen kennedy producer's hat or maybe whoever's got the job in a few years i'm gonna be very very cautious about how much I want to tinker with tradition at this point. We've already seen a lot of pushback against uh, let the past die, kill it if you must kind of thinking in, in Star Wars production. There's a lot of people that wanted some sort of reunion of the classic characters that was maybe a little more satisfying than what we got. There's, there's a lot of people that didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So if they're going to do another saga, if they're going to do something where it's episodic and the idea is every three years, everybody who loves Star Wars is coming out because this is the big one. This is the the central Star Wars property that has all the gravity that everything else surrounds in the same way that Rogue One surrounds the original trilogy, the same way that Solo surrounds the original trilogy, the same way that the other trilogies surround the original trilogy. Like if they're trying to create a new core for Star Wars that has that much gravity to be able to build a new era of the franchise around, I personally feel like the best way to kick that off with a bang and to keep Star Wars fans in the fold is to not mess with the few traditions that remain. And I think one of them is the crawl and the yellow lettering and the cacophony of orchestration that hits you right in the gut the second that that yellow lettering hits the screen and the starfield. I think you need all that. Yeah. You want people to go into a saga film feeling like this is truly Star Wars. It's not a minor story. It, this, is, this is the big one. This is what we're hanging our hat on come and feel star Wars again. And I think you need it. 
I tend to agree with you guys. Like I, I, if I, if I, you know, I'm by no means, I don't have a musical bone in my body. I know what I like, but I can't, I'm not a musician. If I was a Michael Giacchino or uh, John Powell, whoever out there gets called in to do the score for the next saga, do I, I sit down in the chair and I'm talking to the powers that be and they say, all right, here's, you, you got the job. You're our guy, but you, we want, here's, you know, John Williams music. Just do that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. If I'm a creative, if I'm a, my own person, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big heavy hitter in the world of composers, film composers. I go, really? Like you, there's a lot of people who can just cover, do be like the cover van, band version for you. Is that what you want? Really? But I think you're right. I, I agree with you both. Like say you got, this is your thing. You got to do the opening theme and you got to keep the force theme. Those are the two like consistent standards mm-hmm. through star Wars. Those are going to be a part of it. The rest of the music, you can make your own themes, your own motifs. All that's all. It's all yours. These two, they got to stick. Yeah. Well, I mean, Rogue One was amazing. I thought that the music they did for Rogue One was absolutely outstanding. I loved every bit of it. But at the same time, and this is kind of going back to how my thoughts are changing on this. Uh, so if it's going to be like John said, every three years we're going to gather, we're going to show up in the cinema. This is going to be our Star Wars. Then I think that yeah, you got to you got to keep the saga tradition going. Now there's a way to get around this, and I think everyone would be accepting of it, even if it's a series of films that are connected. So if Taika Waititi's doing a trilogy of Old Republic or High Republic, whatever he's actually doing, if you say like this is before this saga and this is kind of its own story standing alone i don't think there's going to be that backlash if you don't have the crawl Um, but if you're saying like hey we're continuing uh ray's story or even 50 years after who knows how long we we even continue that if if lucasfilm even goes down that road of continuing what happens after the rise of skywalker which who knows what they're going to do with that but if they do i think they gotta they gotta go back to tradition and then especially when you have uh jay will who's climbing up there in age i mean this was his last or at least announced his last star wars film right and it would be very special for fans if he's gone and we have that old theme that pops up i mean it's the same thing with carrie fisher at the end of rogue one where you're just like oh wow it's kind of like a punch to the gut and uh but in like a really like sweet and uh a really cool way to remember the person that's gone on quick Quick thought before we round this out. Imagine they do a Star Wars movie and rather than the composer, the sound designer is some fresh faced kid who wants to make a name for himself. And he decides that lightsabers shouldn't sound like anymore. And he decides to just throw in a new sound, like just make it his own. Let the past die. Kill it if you must. Yeah. Is anyone going to be on board with them messing with some of the the core things that kind of make star Wars, star Wars. Yeah. It's going to be a hard no for me. If they start, <laughs> so, if they start messing around with that stuff, I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why I feel like tradition's important. This isn't something that we reboot and create like the new dark grittier version of it. Or, you know, like you don't want to reimagine the tone of star Wars because that's, that's deeply ingrained in what it is. It has to have that fun adventure serial spirit. And every time that they think that they can stray from that, that's when they start getting into trouble. So um, yeah, it, it, a provocative question, but uh, I, yeah, I say stick with what works. Yeah. I mean, if, as long as a lightsaber <laughs> is going to be a, a steel cylinder with that humming blade coming out, you can't, you can't mess yeah. with that. But again, I don't know if you guys read the art of books mm-hmm. in the yep. star Wars stuff. So in the art of the last Jedi, there's those different iterations of 
ancient lightsabers. And one sure. of them is almost quite literally a, a, a kyber crystal tied to a stick. Yeah. And if we ever get a Star Wars movie where you go that far back in time where you get this primitive little thing and you want to alter the sound, sure, I guess you can. But if we're talking metal cylinders, yeah, you come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a familiarity that has to be kept regardless. Like even Kylo Ren's lightsaber, yeah, it, exactly. it, it has different qualities to it, different visual style, too. And they're always reimagining what a lightsaber can be dual sided, you know, with weird hilts or whatever it is. So I'm not against expanding lore and expanding traditions. There's just something that is part of the Star Wars movie going experience, the meta of it, the, the feeling of sitting down in the theater. You need that punch. And the, I, anchor, I, the anchors that have to be consistent. Yeah. I got really kind of disheartened when they took the Fox, you know, fanfare out of it. And I understand why. I mean, you know, it's not Foxes yeah. anymore. So, so be it. But I mean, even that, that was part of the tradition for me. Like I loved hearing that, that fanfare. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, the older you get, the more set in your ways you are. So maybe the young people don't care, but I think that it would be a big blow if they started tinkering with too much. Yeah. Tend to agree. Well, one thing that, has really changed the fan base of Star Wars. That is the Clone Wars. And we have seen Dave Filoni's vision completed, uh, what, it's been 10 days now at recording. And I really want to dive into just our overall thoughts of the Clone Wars and our just this last season, especially in the impact of the series after it's lived on for 12 years. I, I mean, it's it's quite... It's quite the accomplishment when you think about it. So the first thing is, Kyle, when did you get involved in Clone Wars? Were you one of the first people that like I showed up and I watched it and I loved it ever since? Opening night uh, for the th- for the movie in, in theater, um, watched it, said, OK, this is re- this, obviously I mean, we had six movies by that point. This was the most out of left field that Star Wars had ever been for me. And I enjoyed the movie. There were certain parts of it I was not crazy about. Stinky was not my favorite part of the movie, uh, but overall, I'm like, okay, this, you know, this is probably the future of Star Wars. You know, Lucas was done at that point with movies. Animation was where his head was at, and so I said, okay, this is what it, this is what it is, and I'm okay with that. This was kind of cool. It's only going to get better, so let's see where they take take it once they they go ahead with the uh, with the weekly series. And then, John, what did you like? We've kind of talked about this before, but now with it being 12 years later, how has your overall response to the Clone Wars either changed or stayed the same? Like what, how have you kind of approached this show? Well, the, the movie was a little challenging because it was so juvenile and, and certainly was unexpected for star Wars fair, uh, for them to go in that direction. So right out of the gate, uh, the movie didn't give me a lot of enthusiasm for the show, but I, I checked in on it and I was very faithful that first season, which was also kind of challenging while they, they got their footing. It's actually better in hindsight because once you've developed a love for the show, you realize a lot of what you love about the show was present there in the first season. It it just had more to do with us as an audience getting on board and getting up to speed with it than them having like a quality problem out of the gate. So I think that it suffered in a lot of ways under the weight of its own expectations and just how much the audience needed to evolve and adapt to, to understand where the value was in it. And I think I, I fell into that camp. I, I think that it was challenging for me, but obviously time heals all wounds. And, uh, you know, a, f- a few years goes by and then they come out with season seven after we're all nostalgic and warm hearted about the series and, uh, we're itching for more and, uh, man, I think it, I think it delivered. And now the, the property as a whole, 
mm-hmm. I think is some of the best Star Wars that's ever been produced. So I have very warm feelings about Clone Wars as of today. Well, I'm a part of this camp where, and I'm going to age myself here. I was a freshman in high school when this movie came out. And I <laughs> remember approaching it with like, nope, not watching that. That's just going to ruin me forever for Star Wars. And so then and it came out and, it, you know, we uh, had that's when Netflix, they mailed you the discs. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to secretly order this, and not let any of my friends know. And I'm going to watch it in my room. <laughs> And I was glad that I did that in secret because I did not like it. And I had a lot of issues with it. Uh, and I did not watch a single Star Wars Clone Wars episode or Star Wars Rebels until both shows ended. It was it was one of those things where I didn't even start. I didn't start watching Rebels until after The Force Awakens came out. So it's it was a real growing process for me. But then I binge watched the Clone Wars and then I binge watched it again in chronological order when uh, StarWars.com released the chronological order of the episodes. <laughs> and then I, of course, been watched Rebels and was just like, OK, this Dave Filoni guy, he seems <laughs> to know what he's doing. And this was back when he was doing a lot of the uh, Comic-Con stuff with the uh, Ahsoka lives question mark and then coming out five minutes later with the Ahsoka lives exclamation point. And so that's when I really was turned on to Star Wars, uh, the Clone Wars. And it has really uh, it has really impacted me in a positive way. Ahsoka was a character that I did not care about at the beginning of this journey. And now we have season seven. That is Ahsoka's story. And it can be argued that the entire Clone Wars series is Ahsoka's story. I think Felonius said as much. I, yeah. I don't know when he said that, but he said the show is, a, is basically Ahsoka's and Rex's show. Yeah. They're the central characters. And of course, Obi-Wan, Anakin, I think when the first, the show first came out, it was, we were looking at it uh, as Anakin's descent and eventual, eventual descent towards the dark side. We didn't know about Rex and we didn't know about Ahsoka, but the show grew into their show. Yeah. And that's part of that growing pains that the audience had to get on board with. You tune in and you think, this is where we really get to see Anakin and Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars. And we get a lot of that. Like they, they certainly deliver on that. But, that's very much secondary, you know, in the final equation to them building a new fantastic character from scratch, taking her from, you know, annoying snips to, <laughs> to what we see in the finale. That's the true triumph of the Clone Wars is giving us a beloved character that now people are crying out for more of that Lucasfilm is trying to figure out how to bring to live action and they brought into a whole nother series. And like Ahsoka is arguably. I would say to the latest generation of Star Wars fans, probably the the greatest hero that they have. You know, I, I, like there's a lot of people that like Ray, but I I honestly think there's a lot more that would want to see more adventures with Ahsoka than more with Ray or even you know classic characters. So uh, I think that that's the real you know takeaway is that Ahsoka came from this, and the amount of time we spent with her and what we could establish and how much we know about Ahsoka and how much we've come to enjoy going on adventures with her. That's where the brilliance is. And that is something that we have to lay at the feet of Filoni because he was the one that shepherded her through the whole series. No doubt. I and mean, look at what the, the opportunity that is now with Lucasfilm with this character. And there's no way they could have known this because mm-hmm. both Dave and George said that if Ahsoka ever came face to face with Vader, like that would be it for her. <laughs> and no. so we got that meeting <laughs> and there's no way they were going to kill her off, even though that this, that's the idea that they both kind of settled on that Ahsoka would die. 
She's too interesting. She's too popular. She's too bankable. We <laughs> cannot kill her off in this way. And fast forward to Rebels. She's back. Here we are in 2020. And she's, we think, about to jump into live action. The arc this character has taken both in a real world sense and in, in universe is astounding to me. And mm-hmm. she's, she has cracked my top five uh, favorite Star Wars characters easily. Easily. Sure. She's in there. She would be in most people's. Yeah. Yeah. Who wouldn't want more adventure? And that's why there's even, you know, people that are clamoring for another season of Clone Wars. Like people want more of this. I mean, it, it's the uh, people have already voted, you know, like it, there's there's no controversy that Ahsoka is beloved and a fan favorite. And, uh, you know, you, you got to applaud a show that can deliver an iconic character that at this point is really in many ways carrying the franchise along with, mm-hmm. you know, the Mandalorian. But <laughs> And what, like, what would you say to yourself? Like, if you sent your 2020 version of yourself back to the 2008 <laughs> version of yourself and say, Hey, dude, Ahsoka, that character is going to be the person who completely redefines for you what a Jedi should be. Just yeah, give yeah. it some time. You'd right. probably slap yourself silly. Well, I know exactly what would have happened. You know, my 2020 <laughs> self would have gone to freshman self and said, Hey, you're going to be so interested in this character that you're going to pick up a novel and read it over a weekend. And you're going to be like, Oh yeah, let's, you know, let's, let's get to this final episode and then let's give me another Ahsoka book and let's put her in Mandalorian. I would have been like, yeah, that's snips. Like, no, I don't, don't put her in anything else. I don't care about it. What happened to you in the next 12 years? What happens to me in the next 12 years? Yeah, it's uh Star Wars seems to be best when it has the slow burn. You know, we got the movies and we enjoyed the movies for what they are. But when you can really spend some time with a character, that's where Star Wars shines. And that's what Ahsoka proved. And I hope that that continues to be a template that Lucasfilm cherishes, that, that, that they continue to build properties where we get a hundred episodes to really just explore a character and a section of the galaxy and just really dive deep because that's where the the world building is. And that's where uh, Star Wars really pays dividends for most fans. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have been watching this Disney plus gallery series where mm, season one, of yeah. course, is dealing with the Mandalorian. But this most recent episode made me love Ahsoka's character arc even more because I think that this is the route she went. When Filoni was talking about the importance of the duel of the fates between Maul and Qui-Gon Jinn, and he makes a comment that stuck out to me about <laughs> how Qui-Gon Jinn is who the Jedi should be. Like he he's yeah. the one that says, Hey, maybe we shouldn't separate ourselves from love. Like maybe love makes the Jedi the best. And so to me, even though Ahsoka does say in Rebels that she's no Jedi, get that, whatever, I think that she's exactly who the Jedi is supposed to be. Just her, because she never tunes out that that caring for other people and even the love for Rex. Like every instinct in her should have said, hey, you got to kill these clones that are coming after you. And to the end, even when it, it put her life on the line multiple times, she was like, nah, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And it it's really a tragic thing because we talk about that Mace Windu conversation that if she were just allowed back a little bit, and this is on mm. both parties here, it, who knows what would have happened. And this could have all been avoided. And maybe the Jedi took a different approach because even Yoda, you know, brings up like, yeah, maybe we didn't take the best approach here. So, yeah, I mean, Ahsoka's arc, I think, is exactly what Filoni was talking about with Qui-Gon Jinn, is that she becomes who the Jedi should be. And yeah. to me, that that's the highlight of the entire series of the Clone Wars. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I picked up on that, too. I thought that was very interesting that 
we kind of understand that. And even Luke says it in the last Jedi, you know, like the, the Jedi messed up, <laughs> you know, they missed, they totally took their eye off the ball. So it is interesting that at the very beginning of Phantom Menace, where Qui-Gon's talking about, Hey, Obi-Wan, like just get in tune with the living force. Like, don't, don't overthink this. Don't think that everything has to be like so complicated. Just go with where the the force leads you. You realize that, yeah, he was the last of the old guard, the last of the the Jedi that were willing to be patient and let the universe kind of direct things rather than feel that they had to intervene and become generals and have to take sides and get mired down in all the controversy of, of war. So yeah, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing that was never overtly stated, but it's there to be seen. And it's interesting that yes, one of the reasons why Ahsoka is such a powerful heroine is because she's principled. She's not just doing it because of a creed or because of obligation. She's doing it because when push comes to shove, she's going to look at the situation. She's going to intuitively understand because she's a good person, what the right move is. And that's, what's going to guide her. And that's what made those last four episodes so much fun to watch. You, you, you were going on an adventure with a true hero and you didn't have to, there, there was nothing foreboding for Ahsoka. Like you, you don't, you never question whether she's going to continue to be virtuous. And uh, yeah, it's just, it, it makes for really compelling television. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> no, I, I'm right there with you guys. Um, you go, going back to Qui-Gon, it makes you wonder, and not to derail with Qui-Gon, but it just makes you wonder for a second, had he survived to see the Clone Wars, General Jin doesn't ring true to the character. Like he probably right. would have walked. Yeah. You've got to think that guy would have walked away or, or pushed back to some level. Yeah. That's a, that, to me, that doesn't make sense. Uh, so, you know, Ahsoka goes along with it. She goes along with Anakin, but it's, 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 it's with an exclamation point now. Like if you were watching Phantom Menace way back when, and you see all these flawed Jedi and you're just like, this is the Jedi. I don't get yeah. it. Well, now, now we really start to get it. What George yeah. Lucas was driving at. Qui-Gon wasn't a rogue Jedi. Right. He was a proper Jedi. Mm-hmm. And it takes this rogue Jedi and it takes this, part-timer as as mall calls or in rebels as the two people who really embodied jedi and everybody else was flawed to a certain degree as well intentioned as they were they were wrong Mm -hmm. yoda was wrong mace windu was wrong kenobi god love him but wrong (laughs) wrong just yeah didn't heed his masters his first master's words of wisdom to to feel don't think he was telling telling anakin think right you know it's he had it backwards Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more, uh, to be mined in some of the clunky dialogue in those prequel movies. Once you have the context and a little bit of distance to see what Lucas was trying to convey that we just think is maybe a little awkward storytelling. No, it's, he's letting himself show you characters that have all the trappings of heroes, but really aren't. And yeah. it's up to you to figure out that, oh, it's these characters failings that leave the galaxy hanging in the balance. And, uh, yeah, it's there's yeah, there's more there. That stuff in the prequels was so on the nose that people just dismissed it as like poor writing yeah. or just poor planning. And it turns out, well, no, like this is exactly what he was getting at. You know, mm-hmm. this weapon is your life. No, the nope. lightsaber is not. It's yep. Luke. Luke throws away the lightsaber. Yeah. That's the win. Yeah. We're seeing a flawed philosophy unravel in front of us. And we're wondering why that's not quite as immediately entertaining as watching just good guys and bad guys where everything's, you know, cut and dry, black and white. Uh, yeah. I'm going to send back to Zach because I know that we could probably do this particular topic for another hour if we wanted. Um, but we've got a lot to get through. So yeah. you, you want to keep pushing us forward there, Zach? So there are a lot of opinions as to what we got at this last saga film. And the conclusion of the saga was the rise of Skywalker. Now, before we get into that, Kyle, 
you enjoyed this film, right? Yeah. I mean, it, by no means is it my favorite Star Wars movie. I, you know, I don't like to do the ranking thing, but it's, you know, it, it's a middle of the pack movie for me. It does. It, what's the best way I can say that I, at some point during the, the making of this movie and, you know, being in tune with the news as we are, uh, it just became evident to me that there's too much on this movie's shoulders and given JJ's sensibilities as a filmmaker, he's not going to be able to thoughtfully engage with each one of these things. So the best I can hope for is an ending that I hope I like and a fun ride along the way. The rest is probably going to be schlocky. It's going to be weird. And he's probably stepping out of his comfort zone to try and gravy train off what Ryan Johnson did. And it's probably going to be a bit weird Mm -hmm. and it's probably not going to feel a bit right. I just, I just hope it's a fun movie. I did have fun with it despite I mean, I've got a long list of things I wish were different about it, but you know, that's, that's, it's not up to me. Um, I just take the product as it is that said, you know, bringing it home on disc, I've only watched it a couple of times. Like I'm not going back to it. Like when I brought home the last Jedi, let's go, let's roll it again. Let's play it again. Recently for you know, around the May 4th celebration time, I played the whole prequel trilogy. So I don't find myself going back to rise of Skywalker in the way that I had hoped I've got, I think not that I did again, I don't dislike it. I have some complaints about it. I enjoy it, but it, it, I don't see myself revisiting it as often as I would have hoped. Well, maybe you're not going to be able to drum up as much controversy as you thought. Oh, I'll try. I'll try. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty measured response. If you ask me. Yeah. I mean, I have mostly positive feelings about this film and I realized, so while I was watching it, number one, I am from Modesto, California. So the same hometown as George Lucas. So Star Wars was just a way of our life there. Like, you know, we we went through all the places that he filmed American Graffiti. And we would, you know, go to all these weird places of Modesto just because George Lucas had gone there. And I had the privilege of going to the Modesto premiere of Revenge of the Sith and sat right behind Mark Hamill as we watched the film together three weeks before it came out. And so a lot of great memories there. And back then, back in 2005, I figured "Ah, this is the last time I'm ever going to watch a Star Wars film new in the theater. Like that was just my mindset. Like, I don't think this is like maybe in the future when he's gone, like if he dies, maybe his kids might do something. But I thought it was just over. And then with the rise of Skywalker, like this is the conclusion, like, okay, Skywalker saga. This is the end of it. And so I think I went in it with a different approach, like actually knowing that this was the end of a lot of these characters. And I mean, maybe Luke shows up in uh, as a force ghost in the future, similar to the way that uh, we had, you know, Mace Windu show up uh, in the rise of Skywalker, like those type of things. But as a whole, I kind of went into it like, okay, this is a celebratory film. And so I don't know if that hurt my approach to it, but I loved just about every second, especially all the callbacks. I mean, I think I cried when Chewbacca got his medal and that's totally a fan thing. Like the, the, the <laughs> that's been called back. Like, you know, people pointing out like Kevin Smith, whenever he's doing his commentaries on these films, he's like, Hey, you know, where's, where's Chewbacca's medal. And so then when Maz gives him the medal and is like, Hey, Leia wanted you to have this. It's like, oh, okay, that that's really emotional. So moments like that made me love the film. And I'm just going to say it. I loved that Ray was a Palpatine. I thought that was a great move. And, and I know that's going to come back with a lot of stuff. <laughs> I thought that it was very much Shakespeare-esque 
story that I feel like the Star Wars saga goes down with a lot, where you have these two hero and villain connected in more ways than what appear. And this the reveal, yes, a little bit cheesy, and I think they're fighting off the, you know, the coattails of I'm your father type of reveal. And so it doesn't pay up to that. Well, yeah, I, I that's kind of my feelings of of the film there, and I I love that Ray was a Palpatine, and I know that John has very different feelings about that. Yeah, um, this is a movie that has some fun moments. You can't deny that there's spectacle there, and that uh, the way Abrams can stage a set piece, you know, he can find some thrills in a very crowded blockbuster landscape, right? Like we become very um, desensitized to how grand movie spectacle can be. So it's, it's hard to find genuine thrills in the theater anymore. And this movie does have a few of those moments. I, I thought that um, the, like the skiff chase on Pasana was kind of cool. And I thought uh, as far as the, the caliber of the effects and everything that, that go into putting a scene like that together was wonderful. I even picked up on some of the shot homages to the pod race. Like that had me grinning the, the battle where they're getting pummeled with water and, you have this very in- intriguing moment where Kylo Ren is compromised by this um, reaching out on his mother's behalf. And, you know, there's some unexpected moments and, and some genuine thrills in, in all of that. And so where the movie succeeds and where it does things that are innovative and fun and uh, feel true to star Wars and play on those grand themes that just instantly connect with your soul, like all that kind of stuff where it gets it right. I'll, I'll applaud it. my, my problem with the movie as a whole and the reason why I've had it sitting here, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks now and I've only gotten about halfway through it, uh, once is because I feel like the whole approach to the movie was fundamentally misguided. I feel like you can see in this movie an obligation put on JJ Abrams to try and please everyone and address every complaint that has been leveled at Lucasfilm in the the Disney era. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a bad way to approach a movie. Just a few days ago, people were uh, discussing how Dave Filoni was talking about his approach to Star Wars. And he said, you know, like you don't really need to please the fans. Like that shouldn't be your, your sole focus when you're trying to craft a good story. There's more to it than that. It's not just about fan service. It's not just about always having the back of your mind, this, this little running anxiety of how are people going to take this? Sometimes you have to do what you know is compelling and right and rich and, you know, just genuinely good on its own merits and you let the chips fall where they may. The problem is with a multi-billion dollar franchise, nobody was going to let the chips fall where they may. They did that with The Last Jedi. You know, they put a lot of trust in Ryan Johnson. They said, go make a movie. And even before the movie came out, Kathleen Kennedy was so thrilled with the whole experience of working with him and the, the new ideas and the, the challenging things that he put into that movie that she thought that it was stunning work and she wanted to double down on him. She let the chips fall where they may with that movie and the fans, uh, many fans revolted. And so unfortunately Lucasfilm and Disney were more reactionary than I would have hoped. I would have hoped that they would have said, you know what? The last Jedi, we took a big swing with that and it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I think we need to own it. And I think we need to be proud of what we achieved with it. And we need to be confident enough to build on it and complete this trilogy by embracing what we've already established, not by 
trying to sweep it under the rug and, and pretending that so much of the, the themes and the character motivations and everything that was established in the prior two movies that we can play fast and loose with them for the sake of just giving the fans what they say they want. Um, I think it, it's a quote attributed to Steve jobs that you don't ask people what they want. Like if you do that, you're going to get terrible answers because people don't really know what they want. They know what they like when they have it. Right. But if you ask people what they want, you'll never, that's a, a terrible way of trying to assess what's going to make a good product. And in Disney's case, I feel like they made a shopping list of everything that any fan ever whined about. And they tried to make a movie to fix it all in a desperate move to try and win people back. And that might be a great way to provide, you know, a immediate consolation to uh, disenfranchised moviegoers, but it's not a good way to make a movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's because of that philosophy and because of what was put on JJ Abrams and unfortunately JJ Abrams sensibility to be more in love with the spectacle and the fan service than maybe even, you know, finding some sort of creative muse and following that, that this movie became what I felt was just a hodgepodge of too many ideas to try and tick too many boxes to try and please too many people. And in the process, it just became a, a big convoluted mess that honestly on first watch, uh, like the first showing that I went to, admittedly, it was a late showing and I was probably a little tired, but still, I, I consider myself a clever enough person to be able to follow a Star Wars movie. <laughs> I was completely bewildered by the whole experience. Like, okay, where are they now? What? Finn is trying to, what, why, why didn't they tell us what Finn was going to say? And wait, we're okay. We're going to this planet to get this MacGuffin to chase that MacGuffin and what she's a Palpatine. And like, okay, Palpatine's back, but he looks different and his fingers are melted, but he's not the same Palpatine and he's not going to tell us why. And the galaxy is going to end in 18 hours. And the, the guy from, from the Lord of the Rings just said it's Sith magic and, and <laughs> we're moving on. And like at a certain point, there's just too much yeah. of everything. And it just becomes a loud wall of sensory overload that. I felt just lacked restraint that lacked any kind of creative focus. And I think the end result was just a, a stuffed mess of a film. <laughs> that's, that's kind of where I land on it. And I tried so hard when it came out on video, I plugged it in and said, okay, I've had some time. Let's give this a shot. I know where it's going. There's no surprises. Let's just find everything good in this and try to embrace it. Oh my goodness. It's so yeah. hard for me. <laughs> yeah. I think we were all convinced that Rise of Skywalker has got to be a three-hour movie. Mm -hmm. Just because, just because it's a capper, we need to unpack so much here. There's so much to do with all these characters and resolving their stories. Three hours. Easy. Mm -hmm. And then we heard that the runtime was about 220. Actually, the first runtime I think I heard of, of a, like a final cut was when theaters started blocking out their times for two and a half, two, two hour and 35 minute blocks. Yeah. Yep. And so we go, okay, so it's a two and a half hour, maybe a 225 movie. Oh, okay. JJ's going to have to be really economical about this. And then final cut is 220. Wow. Okay. So, but, and in the end, this should, movie should have been at least 15 minutes longer. Easy. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like, I, again, like there, there's so many things that Rise of Skywalker could have also engaged with. They could have, I think they could have done more with Finn. I, I think it's shameful the way that Rose was sidelined. And I know people have big feelings about Rose. The way she was completely and utterly 
sidelined, I think is, is almost embarrassing. Um, and it, and it didn't, wouldn't have taken much just to replace Claude with Rose in that opening sequence. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And I think you go miles into fixing that. Uh, and I love Claude. I love that big, whatever he is. I love him. Slug, but, space slug. Yeah. Sure. But I, you know, I think <laughs> the, the omission and sidelining of Rose, it was, was a big, big mistake. And that angered a lot of people in the fandom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably also made another side of fandom really happy. When you look at The Last Jedi and how Ryan sort of, I think he's a very intimate storyteller. And so he took Rey, he took Kylo, right. and he mashed those two together and said, this is, this is the core of The Last Jedi. Right. And everybody else kind of got pushed to the fringes. And so if, there, if, if more time had been focused on developing what I think JJ had initially planned for Finn, maybe we would have gotten more of a resolution to that in Rise of Skywalker. But it felt like Ryan had spent so much intensely focused time uh, with Ray and Kylo in, in episode eight that he had no choice, but to play that out in nine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, that's another reason for the three hour movie that I think we, we would have hoped for. And, and even just looking at that relationship, that controversial relationship, some of us wanted it and some people really, really didn't. Right. In talking about JJ's sensibilities and, and as a filmmaker and trying to please everybody, I think we can look at Raylo as a mic- microcosm where he could have gone all in and given them the happily ever after and made a huge portion of, of fans really happy. And then he would have made a bunch of people puke in their popcorn buckets. Right. <laughs> so, but what we got, I think on that front is maybe sort of speaks broadly about how the movie was received on a big scale is that Kylo saves Ray. They wake up, they smile, they kiss, he dies. Mm-hmm. And some people, lost their minds but some were lost their minds because they were laughing because it was so absurd mm-hmm. some lost their minds because they couldn't believe that ben solo flopped over and died like that and everybody else in the middle is just going what was that yeah, yeah. and i guess that's that is kind of my, my summation of rise of skywalker so i just I, I i look to where the good things are for me like i i'm with zach i like the ray palpatine reveal i don't think i would have done it, it had it been me making it but when it came to that i was like oh cool because then it makes that end to me where this galactic a-hole who spent his life dogging and and stalking and tormenting the skywalkers is finally brought down by one of his own mm-hmm. who then takes the skywalker name and elevates that name to something that palpatine could never ever hope to achieve because he's so selfish he's so self-centered and didn't want to achieve like i think at the end of it it's kind of this classic middle finger that ray gives to her grandfather like hey you know, you you thought that you were going to convert the Skywalkers and change this whole prophecy for your favor. Well, guess what? Here up yours. Like I and so to me, that was like the biggest thing uh, that that I really like. And yeah, and that's just it. And just the way that she takes that Skywalker name in the end, and and in in doing so, of course, like all the all the blood Skywalkers are to me sort of it's almost like having their numbers retired. They're together. They're on the light side of the Force. It's a happy family reunion on that side. They're immortal. They can't be touched. They're one with the force. It's happy on that end. But Ray gets to take that legacy and carry it forward. And I think there was a, a, a nice symmetry there with the yellow saber and going back to Clone Wars, yellow sabers as guards. I think she is now that guardian of the force, of peace, of justice. That whole scene playing out on Tatooine, again, I think that's an, another way to look at JJ's sensibilities as a movie maker where he, he's giving the fans what he thinks the fans want, but he only he thinks of himself, right? Like he, everybody loves tattooing. Everybody likes the OT, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. And 
so some of us probably looked at that scene and went, oh, like, you know, the tea running down the cheek. It starts where it ends where it all started. And other people going, what's the character motivation for this? Right. Like, Ray has no connection to this place. Why is she there? Uh, and you can you can say, well, she's there because she knew Luke was from there and this is blah, blah, blah. There's other, there's ways to look at it. There's no clear cut way to look at it. I don't think I choose to enjoy it. I choose to like that ending for all of what it is. Mm-hmm. But I understand that, you know, this movie had a big burden to bear and had a big job to do in capping the trilogy. And I somewhere along the way, I, I, I kind of felt like it's pretty clear to me that this is not going to please everybody. Right. Yeah. 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 What else can you really say? Um, I think in our, in our own weird ways, we're kind of all saying something similar, whether it works for you or not, there was no way that it was going to please everyone. So just because we're all kind of falling on different sides of the line here, we all kind of understand the, the underlying problem, which is you've got the burden of eight films in front of you. How do you navigate those waters and ensure that everyone walks away happy and pays to go see the movie again? I think that that's a Sisyphean task. And I, I think Abrams was dumb to take it on in the first place. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think that there was any truly right answer. That's why my default answer is, you know what? If you can't please everyone, just make the best film you can figure out how to make. And don't worry about how people take it and let history judge it as a movie. Once uh, everyone's tempers kind of subside, you know, will it stand up? That's kind of what Empire did. When Empire came out, you know, the, the movie that's considered the best Star Wars movie ever, the, the good one, the dark one, the, the brilliant one, the one where they got romance right. When that movie came out, there was a lot of people that said, wait a minute, where's the, the whiz bang trench run stuff? You know, where's, you the know, golly G adventure. Exactly. Yeah. Where's, where's this wide eyed farm boy and his wizard companion uh, off on, you know, uh, Buck Rogers esque adventures. You flip the script and you made a, a Star Wars movie that we don't understand yeah. yet. and then. In time, people said, well, you know what? This is a pretty beautiful movie. And you know what? There's thematically, this is a really rich movie. And you know what? This is a really creatively inventive movie. And you know what? This breaks the convention and it right. took some real risks and it, 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 it really delves into uh, a level of spirituality that we had, we didn't think that the force was capable of. So once people had time to look at it for what it was and the quality there, now it's beloved. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish that there was some bravery, you know, in the leadership either at Disney or Lucasfilm, whoever's genuinely making the calls on what the rise of Skywalker needed to be, who could have said, you know what? We know we're boxed in a corner here. So let's just make one for the books and let the fans decide what they think of it in time. And honestly, I think you give it a year and people would be applauding it if they'd gone that route. But you know, it is what it is. They needed to sell movie tickets. They needed something they thought was safe. And they thought Abrams was the guy to deliver it. Yeah. I mean, two, two, Two quick things. I mean, look, look, we just finished the celebrating the 20th anniversary for Phantom Menace and that the, the discourse around that movie has completely changed yeah, or is in true. the course of changing in a big, bad way. So, mm-hmm. and you know, that, that brings up the idea that kids who people who fans now on social media who for, you know, get to shape the discussion 10 years ago when people were kicking the prequels in the teeth. Well, now these people are in their twenties and thirties and they're, they're taking a voice on social media and saying, uh, no, these movies are just as good as the others. Mm-hmm. Here's why. And, what will kids who grew up with the sequels do to the discourse and the, the opinion shaping of those movies when we all get old and we start to like move offline and they start to come up online? What will become the, the discourse always seems to change. Empire sure. started out poorly or at least lukewarm. Now it's yeah. the best. And Phantom Menace started out really poorly. It's come right back up and it, it's probably going to be the same for the sequels. 
It could be, but I mean, honestly, if, if we're going to just try and look at it objectively and take our own, you know, our own, our own passions and love for star Wars out of the equation, do you think that the sequel trilogy is as rich with innovative creativity and, you know, fun adventure spirit as the original trilogy or as subtly profound in its, uh, narrative about you know the the devolution of politics into tyranny as the prequels do you really think that the same level of of depth and like time-tested quality that we got in the previous episodes is going to stand true for this trilogy because i i personally i don't feel the vision was there i don't think that they started out knowing where they were going to end and that's why so much of it seems kind of bolted on and retconned and rejiggered was because i i think i think they they just didn't have a, a grand vision. They didn't have a myth maker really shepherding this one. And I think that's why ultimately it falls down in the third act was that, that lack of maybe a felony in the mix or, you You're know, prob- some, yeah, someone that could right. really carry a narrative through. That's where I feel this one falls down. Whereas the prequels absolutely doesn't, you know, Lucas knew what the end game was. And he, even as you know, much as you may question framing and blocking choices and, and dialogue choices, there's, obviously a story there that's being told over three parts the original trilogy sure they were making some of it up as they went but by the time they were knee-deep in pre-production of empire they knew where they were going with that one too so you you had at least lucas playing catch-up really quick with the original trilogy to make sure it got to where he wanted to go with the emperor ultimately i just don't feel like they had anyone with the vision making this one as great as it could have been i think abrams had in his head where he was going with it. And I think that for a couple of reasons, and I think that the last Jedi is, has some uh, responsibility in that is that it was either changed or rushed. Like, so I'm not claiming that Palpatine was always the plan, but I'm mm-hmm. saying that I think that a lot of that uh, was, was fleshed out from, from the beginning. Uh, we'll never know. Like, right. I, you probably can't see it, but right here on my bookshelf, I've got those make great making of books by, mm-hmm. J.W. Rinsler for the OT. We're never getting these for the sequels. Right. Those are no. never coming. We're it's too no. messy that the whole production of these three movies was too messy. We're never going to see that. To your point, John, about the richness of the sequel trilogy, and is it going to have staying power? Is it going to endure like the other ones? I question it. I do, but you go back 20, 15, 20 years, and when the prequels were being mocked, sure, here we are, and we got the Clone Wars to to enrich that whole thing. So I. Maybe. I hope I'm wrong. I certainly hope I'm wrong because I want people to enjoy them and I want to enjoy them. And, and honestly, like I enjoyed Force Awakens and, and Last Jedi and I, I'm trying my darndest to get on. No, I'm not saying you're wrong. It. Like you might, you might be absolutely right. I, I'm happy when I hear that people are on board with it. And I've never once, you know, chided Zach for, for really geeking out on the Rise of Skywalker because that's great. You know, like if, if Abrams was able to hit the mark for some of the fandom, that portion of the fandom, they, they won the golden ticket. Like that's, that's awesome. They got exactly what they wanted. And, and I never viewed myself as the kind of fan that went in wanting them to cater to me, but I, I feel like there's some kind of a baseline that makes sense for star Wars. And I just feel like they veered way too far off of that in this, this last chapter. And I'm really struggling to, to reconcile uh, how I feel about it, but for anyone that can get on board with it. And if in 20 years, you know, it's heralded as a fantastic way to wrap up the Skywalker saga. I would never poo-poo anyone for being warm on these films. If you enjoy it, more power to you. I think one thing that episode nine ensures that we will never see again is an episode nine. Like, I don't think mm. that we will ever get a saga that spans this many movies sure. 
ever again from Star Wars. I think whether it's trilogies or they keep it to four or maybe five movies that they can crank out in a decade, mm-hmm. that's going to be it. They'll try and make a, a saga that stands for a generation. But I sure. think now you have people, you know, in children now who, who got into the, the sequels and people who are in their 50s and maybe even 60s who, who were young people when the OT kicked off. Right. And I, while, while you might think, and in certain slices of the population, it does make for these great big kumbaya moments. <laughs> I think by and large, when you put everybody in the pot, everybody comes at it with their own generational lenses yeah. and it's just so hard to make everybody happy together. So yeah. I don't think they're going to tamper with that again. It'll, it'll be, you know, if this, if 2022 is the kickoff of a new era, a new episodic saga, it'll be for the kids of this era. Sure. Mm-hmm. As well. It should be too. Yeah. They, they don't need to carry all that baggage forward with them indefinitely. They're not obligated to do that. I just hope whatever they come up with for the next era of star Wars, I just really hope that they, they gather the brain trust and they say, you know what? We can shoot higher with these. You know, we can map them out. We can take the extra year necessary to know that we're really knocking this next trilogy out of the park. And then it's a gift, you know, to that generation. They, they get a trilogy that probably inspires them as much as the original trilogy or the prequel trilogy in Zach's case, because he's just a baby inspired us. <laughs> I do hope. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's a little bit, it's obvious from watching the prequels and the, the original trilogy that there was an overseer. And I don't know that there was that singular auteur, that storyteller right. operating things with the sequels. Yep. They can't do that again. I don't think. And just, just to right. avoid the, that, that as a talking point, if they install, sure. be it Dave Filoni or someone from the outside to say, this person is going to ensure that this saga clicks and they're going to watch for characterization mm-hmm. and development right. of, of these storylines. That's this person's job. They need that. I have a conspiracy theory about that. I'm just going to lay out quickly. And then Zach, you can take us home. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, the new mini documentary series that is covering the Mandalorian that the name escapes me for some reason. I've watched gallery. the first couple gallery. Yes. So I've watched the first couple episodes of it. And as I'm watching, I'm like, okay, I know what this is. This is Disney saying loud and clear. We are pitching Dave Filoni to the world as Absolutely. the creative, you know, force that's going to drive the next era of star Wars. We're basically, this is his coming out party. This is, Let's let everyone know who he is. Let's get his face up there. Let's show that he's the one that all these other directors are fawning over saying he's the guy, he's the guy that's the keeper of the flame. He's the guy that, you know, has the answers. And he's also someone that's already got credibility with the fan base. He's the father of Ahsoka. Like I have a feeling that Disney knowing what they're mapping out for the next, you know, 10 years or whatever, starting to sign directors that are all kind of in this, uh, you know, Favreau Filoni fold now, you know, with Taika Waititi and all the other people involved with the Mandalorian. I think that they're basically laying the foundation of saying, you know, here's the new creative lead. I don't, I don't know if he's going to run the studio per se, but I think he is going to be considered the, the public figurehead and the one who's going to create and maintain that creative vision for this next era. That's yeah. my conspiracy theory of why, these first couple episodes at least of gallery have um, really been very heavy on the, the Filoni love. He got yeah. a five minute monologue in yes. a show about the Mandalorian talking about Phantom Menace. Yeah. And talking about his um, experience of meeting George Lucas and, you know, gelling with him and kind of getting those deep insights. Like they're basically saying this guy is a, as a download of Lucas. So everyone who looks at Lucas as, you know, this uh, deity of, of star Wars, well, this is, you know, this is the Messiah, you know, this is, this is his son. He's the, if, if George Lucas is God, Filoni is, a, is the Pope. And there you go. The keeper of the flame. They, when they announced Mandalorian, it was John Favreau's show. 
But ever since that, as they got closer to the yep. development, you never got Favreau without Filoni. Yeah, right? you can see them setting the narrative that Filoni is the guy. He's the one that's going to make Star Wars great again. Yeah. He's he's Lucasfilm's Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. I set myself up, so I couldn't help myself. Oh, um, man. Uh, anyway, Zach, uh, on that note, what else you got to say? Well, going back into controversies here recently and kyle i don't know if you've looked much into this but have you actually read into the colin trevorrow script of duel of the fates i looked at the like the book i know i think there's a couple versions of it out there one is more of a cole's notes and the other is sort of like a a big dump of what his first draft would have been Mm -hmm. my conspiracy theory if we're throwing those around i think he leaked it I think he's the one that did it because there was so much talk about what he would have done and not done. Sure. I think eventually he let that leak. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he certainly would have had a copy now, wouldn't he? Absolutely. I think you are absolutely right. That has been my theory <laughs> from this whole time. Is it now nah, this is Trevorrow sitting at home and thinking, you know what? It would be a shame if, if I sent this to someone. Look what you guys did when you kicked me to the curb. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he has an ax to grind, but uh, it's it certainly that's a that's a fun theory to to chew on. Well, especially since when people get on, like, given the, the, the you know, the the frosty reception or the I guess the divided reception for Rise of Skywalker, when he when he looks at the discourse online and says, well, you know what, I think this is the right climate for me to kind of take a dump here. Sure. Yeah. And let me just drop this grenade into fandom and see what happens. And. I guess a predictable thing where some people read his stuff and went like, well, that's there's some stupid stuff in there, but other people go would have been better than what we got. Yeah. And you know, that those are both very predictable party lines to follow along. Um, But we, I think we, you know, we got to remember it was a first draft and whatever was on in that script would have been rewritten probably twice more and then changed along the way as they filmed and then changed again during the edit. So what would have stuck? Who knows? Yeah. Well, and the nice thing about the Star Wars fandom is that we're already conditioned to this Legends lore where we have these stories that aren't a part of canon that we can go back and read and and enjoy. And I do hear, and John might be able to confirm this, that there is actually a podcast in nine parts that reads through an audio performance of Duel of the Fates. Yeah. So, I mean, let's not, uh, let's not be coy about it. Um, a friend of mine, someone that I've crossed paths with, um, on my other project, my SNL podcast, he has produced a radio play that's effectively, it's, it's a reading of the script, like with scene notes and then performance for all the characters and then score and then sound effects and, and basically take like a, a Star Wars audible book kind of a, an approach to it. Um, where he's tried to create as, as rich a soundscape as he can to supplement uh, the script. And he released it last week. And Zach and I, well, we have obviously the the, the two most critical roles in yes. the whole project. Um, Zach plays unnamed First Order Officer number one, and I play unnamed First Order Officer number two. And well, obviously the the whole thing just hangs on our brilliant performances anyways, because we're involved in that. And um, because we're also doing um, sort of a supplemental talking about uh, after show that uh, is being released in tandem with that. We figure we might as well turn our audience onto it. Let them know that they can check in any of their podcast apps for duel of the fates and listen to the first 20 minute episode that dropped uh, on Sunday and 
The second 20 minute episode will be dropping this coming Sunday. We're going to have some things to say about it. That's going to drop in that feed and on our feed as well. So we're basically getting into bed with, um, Jamie do the guy who's producing it and, um, you know, participating and trying to get the word out on that. And it was a lot of fun to be able to have a, a very modest, uh, amount of participation in the project. And we're having fun breaking it down. And while I agree with you, Kyle, that this is not something that we can take to the bank as, oh, well, you know, this would have been a superior, you know, uh, ninth installment of the Skywalker saga. It is the kernel of what Trevorrow's version of the film would have been. And if you take it as such and just say, oh, you know what, like in an alternate universe, you know, if, if this was the kernel of what would have been, you know, let's live in that world for a little bit and just see if we have any fun with it on those terms. I think it's a fantastic project and a, and a fun thing to to listen to. So I would encourage our audience to listen to it, but I also don't want to give anyone the, the idea that we're um, trying to show up. Yeah. And we're not in the camp of uh, people that are immediately going to dismiss what ultimately made it to the screen because some other half-baked script is floating around. Like it's very easy in hindsight to decide what you consider to be the superior product, but we, we forget how the development of movies works and how scripts work and how early in the process this was and how this was prior to Carrie Fisher dying and how this is fun in its own little box, mm-hmm. but it should never be taken as controversial. It should just be something for people to ingest and say, huh? Okay. That's, cool what Trevor was thinking about. And, uh, you know, that that's kind of interesting how he would have treated that character or whatever. Um, and on those terms, I would encourage everyone to go take a listen and, uh, yeah, we're proud to be able to be involved. Awesome. It's cool to see someone else's vision. Uh, I just think it's cool that we have that. And I completely agree with you, Kyle. I think that Colin was sitting there and was saying it would be a shame if someone got this. And, uh, Oops. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. But I hit send. Mm, what a shame. So I, it, it's just cool to see it because this is pre the last Jedi. Like he's going off of what Ryan Johnson was going off of, which none of them had seen the force awakens when they were both called to do their two mm. movies. So it was just, uh, it's really interesting. Now, Kyle, I hear that you have some interesting things going on on another podcast and with another network. Do you want to tell us about that? Uh, you can find me. I'm at the, the Tumbling Saber podcast. We are, we've been at it for four and a half years or so. Uh, we're well over 200 episodes into our career here. Um, we like to just horse around, kick around the news of the week, uh, listener questions, theories, topics we come up with. We're just, we're just here to have a fun time with this stupid galaxy that we somehow got roped into and and we can't get out of. And we're a part of the star Wars Commonwealth podcast network. Again, just a group of of great star Wars podcasters who do things a little bit differently. Everybody's got their own little take on things, but yeah, man, like that we're we're all having a blast. How can you not? We're talking star Wars. It's supposed to be fun. If it's not, what are you doing? And yeah, we, we publish podcasts every week and uh, it's always a, a real pleasure. And, Tumbling Saber, if you know if, if the social media plug time is here, look look us up. Tumbling Saber, Facebook, Twitter, all those places. We're there. Very well, good. Kyle, it was such a joy to have you on this episode of Star Wars TV Talk with us. We absolutely enjoyed it. You are a, a Star Wars fan, and you're one of the good fans. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I I had a fantastic time, guys. This this was so much fun. Yeah, yeah, it really was. You have no idea how sick I get of talking to just Zach. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, no, this John, was this was a, a really really engaging conversation. We were able to dig deep on a couple topics, and I think still you know keep things generally speaking you know positive and fair and balanced and all that. And I could not be happier with uh, being able to bring you in tonight. So thank you so much for making the time. It's lucky that we just didn't get into SNL as well. Sure, that's another rabbit hole that we can spend oh. another hour and forty minutes doing. Well, we will table that discussion for another day. <laughs> well, speaking of SNL, where could people continue their SNL ventures, John? Well, SNL has officially signed off for season 45. They um, did an at-home in-quarantine finale last week, and uh, we talked about it on Sunday night. I'm going to be dropping that in our public feed, hopefully very soon. And uh, there's lots to say. You know, it's interesting times that we're living in, and SNL is attempting to adapt and generate something of interest that is topical and of the moment. And uh, we've been having a blast talking about it. And if anyone's interested in hearing about that cultural institution, they can find us in any of their podcatching apps at SNL after party, or they can go to snlpodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode of star Wars TV talk, you can keep up with our show on Twitter throughout the week at star Wars TV talk. And by emailing us at hello at star Wars TV talk.com. And you can find our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And please hit subscribe. We are, of course, a part of the TV Talk Network. And you can find more of our shows at tvtalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening. And may the force be with you always.